Good morning, my name is Pastor Joshua. Welcome to Cross Point Church. It's great to see everybody here. And uh, today we are here, obviously, like every Sunday, but in particular this Sunday, to remember the truth that He is risen. So I'm going to pray, and uh, I'm going to preach about that a little bit. So let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for life. Thank you so much for the promise of life and for the hope of life. And thank you so much for the proof that your work, Jesus, on the cross is more than enough to pay the penalty for our sins and that your resurrection is more than enough to give us new life and to make us new creatures in Christ, to make us new people. And I pray that you would renew us in that newness, that you would renew us in resurrection, that you would give us not little faith, but resurrection faith and, and the promise that, uh, that you're working all things out for the good of those who are called to your purposes. And uh, help us if we are believers and we need to be renewed in our faith, use the word today to do that. And if we're unbelievers exploring and investigating and questioning, I I pray that you would be the exclamation point uh, to our questions and that you would graciously meet us right where we're at. So do all of those things and help me not to get in the way. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this morning I want to go to Matthew chapter 28 and the account of the resurrection. And um, I, I want to say that, uh, you know, as I started thinking about it this week, and it seems like every year I kind of come back to the resurrection and go, now, why is this important? Why is the historical resurrection of Jesus something that happened 2,000 years ago? How, why is it important for me today? And how can I play that forward? And what's the, really the relevancy uh, of it? And how can I move beyond sentimental pageantry to real dynamic faith? And does, it, and, does it, and does it really matter? I mean, it's a legitimate question. Is this just a religious holiday or is there something in the resurrection of Christ that, uh, that has real abiding meaning and depth and substance and, uh, and things like that? And I started thinking about it this week, and I started thinking about my trip to the emergency room about three months ago. And uh, I woke up in the middle of the night, and uh, out of the blue, and I felt a sharp shooting pain in my, in, the, in my chest right there. It felt like somebody took an arrow and stabbed me in the chest, and it came out my back. And I was, so, I was in so much pain that night. It was like 3 in the morning. I bent over. I was on the floor. I was trying to walk around in the living room, and I said to Sherry, Sherry, I think I'm dying. And she's like, probably not, but... And I said, you got to take me to the emergency room. So we went to the next door neighbors. They watched the the A-team, our girls. And um, and, uh, we got in the car and we started to drive to the emergency room. And of course, I had just preached here at Cross Point on that verse that says, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I mean, that was Sunday. And this happened on Tuesday. And my beautiful, godly wife, who has a halo above her head, said, well, you talked about to live is Christ and to die is gain. And so there I was, I'm in pain, I'm like, okay, I'm supposed to accept this. I get to the emergency room. They put me on the gurney. She's like, the nurse comes in, and this nurse was like full of sass. I don't know if you're a nurse here today, but the sassiness in the ER is not cool. (laughs) I'm just going to say. But she said, she said, okay, what's the problem? You know, because she's obviously looking down on me because, you know, I'm so young looking. 
And she's like, what's the deal? And I'm like, I got a sharp shooting pain. It's like an arrow coming through here. And I can barely breathe. And I don't know. She goes, what do you do for a living? And I'm like, I'm a pastor. And she goes, oh, that explains it. That totally explains everything. She goes, it's those church ladies, isn't it? They put you here. I got the same response in the first service, by the way. And I want you to know, church ladies, that I said, no, it's not the wonderful church ladies at my church. And then she gave me morphine, and I can't remember what I said after that. But anyways, <laughs> turns out it was a pinched nerve in my neck, and that nerve, uh, it, the nerve that was pinched is the one that controls the nerve endings to my chest and my heart and down my left arm. So when that nerve is pinched, it makes you feel like you're having a heart attack. And so that's what happened. I'm okay. I'm healthy. You can come back next week and believe I'm going to be alive. But anyways... The deal is, is this, is that when you have an encounter like that and when you come up against the wall, nothing else really matters, does it? When you think, and I did think, I was like, this could be it. This could be the big one. And when you're in that moment, it's in those moments that the resurrection of Jesus becomes really, really relevant. And you think about... How many people, you know somebody who's gone through a grieving process, you've lost somebody, or maybe you have dealt with sicknesses on your own, and suddenly you realize that this life and death and resurrection is a very important thing. But even more than that, when you consider why is this important, why is the resurrection important, you think about other things like the fact that we have sinned against God, that we have morally fallen and we have broken God's law. And even if you don't believe in the law of God, or you think God is archaic and primitive, or you think the law of God is irrelevant, we've moved beyond that, and that's, that's stuff that people in the ancient times before science, you know, that's the way they understood their world. But even you, you've created your own law. We've all created our own laws, and we hold everybody accountable to our laws, but we ourselves don't follow our own moral law that we set for ourselves, true or false. We hold everybody else accountable, but we break our own law, which shows that in our conscience and in our moral ability, we're fallen, we're broken, we are spiritually and morally dead. And the Bible says that on Good Friday, Jesus took our sin and died for our sins. Jesus said in Mark chapter 10 verse 45 for the Son of Man did not come to be served but came to, to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many that he came to pay a price to pay a wage on the cross and our only confidence our only assurance that that could possibly be true is in the resurrection Romans chapter 4 says that the resurrection is confirmation of our justification before God if we believe in Jesus Christ and so every single day when you wake up and you have a conscience that is not clear or, or a life that's imperfect and you need to clear your conscience, you can go to the truth of the resurrection and say, Jesus paid the full price for my moral inability and my moral failure in my life, and he has forgiven me. But even more than that, the resurrection is important because of philosophical issues. And we all get to the point in our life 
when we say, what is the meaning of this life? I mean, when, listen, when we're young, about up to 35 years old, all we think about is success. How can I be successful? How can I make money? How can I, how can I make sure that, that I make my mark in this world? But about 35 and on, we stop thinking about success and we start thinking about significance. And does life mean something? And is life significance? I'm 36 years old. I'm, I'm serious. Last year, I started thinking about issues like, oh my gosh, is what I'm doing, does it matter what I do? Does it matter at all what I do in my life? Does it matter what I gain? Does it matter what I purchase? Does it matter what I drive? I mean, I used to think if I drove a, uh, a Camaro, which I did at one point in time, that that was like the meaning of life. And you get to a point in time and you start seeing this world as superficial and sentimental and, and really meaningless. Leo uh, Tolstoy, he was an intellectual and he said that when he got to 55 years old, he considered suicide because he said, what is it that I can do in this life that inevitable death won't take away from me? Death takes everything away from me. And death takes away meaning. And we're all going to face that day when we're going to die. And we know we're going to die. And we live in fear of it. And one of the fears we have is that my life is meaningless. That this world is meaningless. But the truth of the resurrection is that God came in the flesh. And what did God communicate when, when the word became flesh and dwelt among us? What God communicated is that this life does matter. That the physical world and your physical body and your spiritual life and everything about your soul and all of your loves and your affections, all of that contains, it's just packed with meaning. And when Jesus defeated death, he said, I am not going to let your life be meaningless. I'm going to deconstruct death. I'm going to deconstruct sin. I'm going to deconstruct meaninglessness. And I'm going to reconstruct a new life and a new creation. And whoever believes in me, even though he dies, he will live. That's what Jesus said. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though he dies, he will live. And God has placed it in your heart to live forever. And God has placed it in your heart to live forever with Him. The resurrection means all kinds of things. But I'm not done. The resurrection has meaning for our spiritual life and the fact that not only are we dealing with our own sin, we're dealing with Satan. We're dealing with demons. We're dealing with powers of darknesses and forces. And every day you wake up, you're waking up to a war of intense fury, a war that our culture is redefined in all these classified terms and all of, these, all of these, uh, uh, this efficient language that we've chosen to describe all of our problems. But inside all of those efficient terms is spiritual warfare and powers of darkness and these darknesses come up against you and they separate you from each other and they separate you from your church and they separate you from your family and they separate you from people these powers of darkness separate you from loving God and loving your neighbor as yourself and you're pulled in through a million different mediums and a million different demons and you're overcome and you're obsessed and the Bible says that the Son of God came into this world to destroy the works of the devil, 1 John. 
And when Jesus defeated death and he overcame, and when, when he stood there outside of that tomb and walked away in the flesh in a historical resurrection, what he was saying is, I've overcome all of the powers of darkness. And those who believe in me can overcome the powers of darkness as well. I will pull you out of the light or out of the darkness into the marvelous light of God and you can walk in the truth. Resurrection is not religious sentimentality. It's not pageantry. It's not. It's not. It's not. Uh, it's not some kind of religious kind of game. This is about life, and it means something. He is risen is a precious truth, and we are to walk in it. And listen, my objective today. I want you to know what my objective is as we go to Matthew twenty-eight. If you're a believer, but you're a wall right now. You're not on the front lines where you should be. You're not where you should be in your relationship with God. You're AWOL. You're, you've wandered out into a spiritual wilderness, into a dry and thirsty land. And you have no thirst for God and you have, you have no taste for Him right now. You're, you're, you've gone through spiritual burnout. We've all been there before. But you're out there. I want to use Matthew 28 and resurrection faith to pull you back in to the front lines of dynamic faith. And if you're a skeptic and an unbeliever and you're exploring and investigating spirituality and, and what's true and what's not and, and what's kind of just a fantasy and a myth and what's reality, I want to pull you in and I want you to, at the very least, walk out of here more impressed with the resurrection than you did walking in. And if I could have my way with you, that you would be a believer and not a doubter by the time you left here today. And so I'm going to take all of you, whether you're an AWOL believer, whether you're on the front lines and you just need encouragement, whether you're a skeptic and you need some answers on whether you should become a Christian or not, I want to take you to Matthew 28 and an angel. And I want you to hear what this angel tells you because this angel is going to tell you what to do with the resurrection of Jesus to move forward in your faith, to move forward wherever you're at, to move forward in your faith. Go to Matthew 28. Let me set up the context. Jesus has died. All hope is lost. He died on a Friday, was buried on a Saturday. It's Sunday morning. And because the Sabbath is over, the women can now go and can, and can dress up the body of Jesus with spices. And they can honor his burial. Now, the women are the best. <laughs> I love it. Women are the first ones to Jesus. Amen. Is that true or what? That is accurate. Women go, and they're with Jesus no matter what. Dudes, leave. And so here comes the women, but the women are not perfect. And not, ladies, I don't want to let you off the hook here. Because they're coming, and their expectation is death. And sometimes you've got to move in your life where you expect more than death. You've got to expect that God's going to do something. And Jesus had told the women, just like the disciples, listen, I'm going to die and then I'm going to rise on the, on, from, the, from the grave three days later. And the women are going and they, their expectations are too low. Lift your expectations on what God can do. And so they go, and what they run into is they run into a, an angel. There was an earthquake, of course, and, and then there's an angel of the Lord, and he descends from heaven, and he rolls back the stone, and he sat on the stone that he's, that he's rolled back. 
I love the appearance of the angel, like lightning, clothing, white as snow. And then verse 4, it says that the guards trembled and became like dead men. And I always like to think of the Roman soldiers there. They're guarding the tomb, and they're guarding it. And this angel comes down, boom, and there's an earthquake, and then there's just a bright light. And the Roman soldiers look at each other and go, play dead. That's, That's the wisest thing to do. Let's just play dead, and we'll act like that we're not here. And maybe the angel won't deal with us because he'll think we're dead. So they pretend like they're dead. Now, this proves, this proves that this angel is not a chubby little baby with little wings and a diaper. Amen? Is that right? I mean, if angels in the Bible are the chubby little baby with the wings and the diaper then the Roman soldiers are not going to be scared. So this is a, angels in the Bible are warriors, all right? They're like samurai. They're like, you know what I mean? I mean, they are warriors. Anytime you see, that's why every time, in the, every time somebody runs into an angel in the Bible, they're like, do not be afraid, because they're frightening. And so, so this angel shows up, and by the way, that also proves that this message is so important. One of the heavenly, one of the, one of the, one of the members of the army of God is communicating to these ladies the resurrection and to you and me. And I know there's some dudes here that like UFC, and I know you guys are some of you tough guys, and you think Christianity is all wimpy, and I want you to see this angel for what he is. If you saw this angel, be grateful you won't see this angel, but you can listen to him. He'll beat up any of your UFC dudes, whatever. (laughs) And so in verse 5, let me pick it up and start reading here. Verse 5, it says, The angel said to the women, Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen. As he said, Come and see the place where he lay. And how can the resurrection become more powerful? And how can we move forward in our faith and move beyond our skepticism and move beyond our doubts? How can we begin to doubt our doubts? And the first thing you've got to do is come and see. Come and see the empty tomb. I love that. That's basic Christianity. In fact, everybody say basic Christianity. Basic Christianity is come and see. Basic Christianity is look. Basic Christianity is behold. Basic Christianity does not come to you and say, you better do something. You better do something for God or else you're going to hell. You better get your rituals right. You better get your church going right. You better do this or you better do that. The first step of Christianity is not doing. The first step is looking. In fact... These seeing verbs, the words see and saw. In fact, say that. Say see. See. Say saw. Saw. Say seesaw. Seesaw. Those verbs, see and saw, happen six times in Matthew 28 alone. So the whole emphasis of Matthew 28 is come and look. Come check this out. 
The call is to come investigate. The call is to come and ask your questions. The call is to enter into the, in, into the empty tomb. The call, is, the call is not a Christianity that comes to you and says, don't ask any more questions. Now go. He's risen. Don't ask any questions. Don't have any objections. Don't do, you just go be religious. You just shut up, little Bobby. Stop asking questions. That's not God. God's like, you got questions? You got objections? You want to investigate? Come on. Let's, let's go in there. Let's, let's deal with it. God made you to be a person that asks questions. In fact, you can't get answers from God until you start asking questions. Amen? Some of you, you need, you need big answers right now in your life. You're like, I've got big, 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 big questions in my life right now. Are you willing to ask God the questions? And it just might be that he might answer some of your objections. If you'll suspend your doubt just for a minute, just for a moment, and you'll come and you'll look in this empty tomb. You'll come and see. There's two things for you to come and see. Number one, come and see the empty tomb. And the empty tomb is, is the preaching of the resurrection. Now, now listen. In the book of Acts, the earliest preachers preached the resurrection of Jesus. That's all they preached. They constantly, they stood in the middle of Jerusalem and they said, Hey! Hey! And everybody's like, Who are the Jewish fishermen? Hey! Jesus is risen! And everybody was like, What? Jesus defeated death. Now listen, if that tomb was not empty, if that tomb was filled, the enemies, and there was a lot of enemies to those first preachers, the enemies would have gone right to the tomb. They would have pulled the dead body out of Jesus. It would have been like CNN, where in the Middle East, they dragged dead bodies through the streets. You all have seen those, those pictures. They would have done that same thing because people hated those early preachers of Jesus. And they would have gone to that empty tomb because they knew where it was. And they would have pulled out the dead body of Jesus. And they would have dragged him along the streets of Jerusalem. They would have said, he's not, he's not alive. He's dead. He's right here. Here's his corpse. It stinks to high heaven. But they didn't do that. In fact, the earliest recording of the resurrection of Jesus happens 30 years after the resurrection in 1 Corinthians 15. And Paul says in that writing, he says Jesus showed up to the 12. Jesus showed up to 500 people as one group. And all of those people could have been interviewed. All of those people could have been gathered. There was historic evidence and eyewitness accounts of the resurrection of Jesus. And they would have done anything in the world that they possibly could to denounce it or to prove it wrong. But they couldn't. And here's the reason why they couldn't. Because that tomb really was empty. Jesus is risen. That tomb is empty. You can go in it today. I was in Israel. I saw the tomb. What I think is the tomb. You know what I'm saying. And I walked in it, and there's this, there's this, big, there's this big slat where, a, where a, a, a stone could be rolled over it, and there's a mountain right there, and that mountain looks like a skull, literally. When you're there in Israel and you look at this empty tomb, it's right there. There's a, there's a, there's a skull, and then there's a, a, a top, and then uh, over here is this, is this empty tomb, and you can go in there, and there's markings that Christians in like the 2nd century or 3rd century, I can't remember which, had marked in that tomb special markings to 
indicate that that was the tomb of Jesus. And that sucker is empty. Which is why the enemies of Jesus had to come up. In fact, right here in the Gospel of Matthew. In fact, since it's the second service and we're not in a hurry today. (laughs) Verse 11, look at this. While they were going... Behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priest all that had taken place. And when they had assembled the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has spread among the Jews to this day. In other words, here's what they're like. Well, we can't find the body, but here's what we can do. We can say that the disciples who, I don't know, true or false, not geniuses. True? Am I right? I mean, we are not talking about rocket scientists and Peter and John and these guys. And apparently they're saying that they stole the body at night. They went up against Roman soldiers, somehow snuck around Roman soldiers, stole the body of Jesus so that the tomb would be empty. That obviously didn't happen. And listen, here's the deal. The point is this, is that that could be the only theory. Now, I think in the 1960s, they came up with a theory that maybe, you know, the disciples ate some shrooms and got high and hallucinated the whole deal. Only hippies could come up with that one. I mean, loved ones, the, the tomb is empty. And they were trying to conspire about why it might be empty, but the tomb is empty. It's one of the most verifiable facts of Christianity is that that tomb is empty. So you've got to come and you've got you to you look at the evidence and see, number one, that the tomb is empty. But here's the second thing. You've got to come and see the risen Christ. Come and see the risen Christ. Come and see not only the empty tomb, but you've got to add to that your own encounter with Jesus. Look at verse 9, Matthew 28, verse 9. And behold, Jesus met them saying and said, Greetings. And they came and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So... So here's the deal. At the end of the day, you can say, yeah, the tomb is empty. But the second thing you've got to have in your life to have resurrection faith and to to say, man, it's precious that he has risen, is you've got to have a conversation with Jesus yourself. It can't be, you know, when I was growing up, everybody talked to Jesus for me. My my memaw talked to Jesus for me and about, believe me, my memaw was praying hard for me. My mama talked to Jesus for me. My daddy talked to Jesus for me. My cousins. (laughs) Everybody was talking to Jesus for me and talking to Jesus about me, but there was one person who was not talking to Jesus, and that was me. And until until I had a conversation with Jesus, and I was 17 years old when I finally fell on my knees by my bed, and I was this stupid, rebellious, dumb kid, and I got on my knees, and I had a conversation with Jesus, and Jesus spoke into my life, and that's when I was like, not only is the tomb empty, but Jesus is alive. And he began to change my life, and he began to do things that there's no way I could have done on my own. 
He helped me to overcome some serious obstacles to me becoming a guy who actually likes God, loves God, wants to serve God. And that's the same thing you've got to do. And listen, even as believers, we've got to continue to come back to this phase. Come and see. You've got to frequently come and behold Christ. You've got to frequently come and say, help my affections. You've got to frequently come to Him and have a conversation. And the Bible says that whatever we behold, we become. If you're looking and coming to see vile things, you'll become vile. If you're looking at things all the time and beholding everything in the world but God and Christ, then you'll become just like the world. Because God made you to reflect whatever it is that you behold. And the value of a soul is the object of its love. Who do you love? We all talk to people. We all talk to something. Heck, sometimes when I drive down the road, I talk to myself. You can see me preaching sermons as I drive down that road. Like, there's Pastor Josh. He's practicing. I'll be driving. When we get in danger or when we're confused at night or when we're laying our head down on our pillow and we don't know what's going to come tomorrow or when we're sick or when... Somebody we know is sick or when, when we go through family dysfunction. Oh, Lord, how many sleepless nights have I gone through because of family dysfunction or because I'm worried about my older brothers. Man, those guys, they need help, you know. And, and I talk or I pray or I go to something. Sometimes I, I'm tempted to self-medicate. Sometimes I'm tempted to take the drink, but I'm praying to something. I'm beholding something. I'm looking to something. Sometimes the escape of entertainment. Sometimes the escape of technology. Sometimes the escape of work. Being a workaholic and working 75 hours a week so I don't have to think about it anymore. And I'm praying to something and I'm praying to somebody because God made me to pray and God made me to worship and God made me to love and God made me to behold. And what the angel is saying and what the risen Christ is saying, come and behold me. Come and behold me as the risen Lord. Come and talk to me. Come and have a conversation with me. And I have real power which will save your sobriety, save your serenity, save your life and move you beyond all the various valleys of death that you're walking through in your life and bring you beyond the grave in every possible way. I am the Lord of new life. Come and see. Come and see. I, I, you know, I love... And what, what, what do you, what's going to happen to you? What's going to happen to you when you have a conversation with Jesus? He's going to say Greetings. He says, greetings. I love that. You know, in the Greek, it's, it's street language. It literally means to rejoice. But they use that word in the Greek language for greetings there. They use it on the street as a basic, common greeting. It's not like, all hell, like King James Version has, all hell. Which I kind of like the King James every now and then for its grandeur. You know, it's like Shakespeare. Hath not thou seen I didn't do that in the first service, and I shouldn't have done it there, but. <laughs> but, the, but the comparable greeting in our own time for the greetings there is, what's up? It's just a high. Like Jesus, just like, they're going, they're afraid, they've heard about the resurrection, they're running, they're like, oh my gosh, I don't know what's going on, is there the empty tomb, and there was an angel and an earthquake, and then there's Jesus, and he's like, what's up? <laughs> 
I love that. He doesn't spike the lily. He doesn't like do an end zone dance. He doesn't like, oh, what you going to do now? Boo, yeah. <laughs> to death out, baby. You know what I mean? He's not spiking balls and, you know. I shouldn't have done that either. Dang it. <laughs> Messing up Easter. He's not going <laughs> to spike the ball on you when you come and talk to him. That's what I'm trying to say. He's humble, and that's what he said. I mean, he had always promised, he had always said to it, he had always said to us, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and, and I will give you rest for your soul. My, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Dude, I'm not going to put anything heavy on you. I'm not going to slap you. I'm not going to kick you. I'm not going to threaten you. I'm just going to say, what's up? Let's have a conversation. Greetings. You got to come and see him personally. And I could give you the 10 different scientific evidences, and they're out there. And if you've got questions, you should go find those answers about the, the resurrection of Jesus. The fact that it's more verifiable that Jesus has risen from the dead than Julius Caesar's life and his wars. There are more, there's more documentation, more eyewitnesses, more accounts of the resurrection of Jesus that are verifiable historically than, than, than Homer's own writings and whether Homer wrote his writings. And there's all kinds of stuff, but at the end of the day, you've got to go have a conversation with Jesus. You've got to come and see. And it'll move you from unbelief to belief, and it'll move your belief from mustard seed faith the big faith in a big God. Come and see the empty tomb. Come and see Jesus. Come and see. That's what the angel tells us to do. But secondly and finally today, the angel tells us in light of the resurrection to go and tell. Once you come and see, and once you have resurrection faith, the rest of your life, the rest of your going is to go and tell the world to tell others that Jesus is risen, to be a missionary. Look at verse 7. Even the angel immediately, once they come and see, they go in the empty tomb and they see it and they're like, oh my goodness. And then they come out and the angel says in verse 7, go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, What's up? And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. Now, everybody look up here. I did some careful research this week because I'm working for you baby I'm working for you and what I found is that the going verbs go and going in fact I want you to say it say go, go. say going. going say go going, going. alright so it's just like seesaw six times the going verbs are used just like see and saw are used six times go and going is used six times in Matthew chapter 28 and the emphasis is, is that once we have resurrection faith, we are to go and tell others about this. We're not to hoard it. We're not to take it. We're not to say, we're not to say, to, we're not to say, you know. Jesus is risen for me, but not for you. 
shouldn't have done that. Okay. He says, listen, he says, you are to go and share it, that it's not something we keep, it's something we tell the world. We're to become a symphony of missionaries. We are to all together as individuals and as a church to be a come and see, go and tell church. That's what we're supposed to do. And he says here, the angel says, go tell the disciples. Jesus says to go tell the disciples. And if you read the resurrection account in John, what's John say in light of the resurrection? Jesus said in John chapter 20, verse 21, as the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. In Luke 24, verse 42, he says, forgiveness of sins is to be preached to all nations. You are witnesses to these things. Mark 16, verse 15 says, go into all creation and preach the gospel. And here in Matthew, jump down, in fact, let me, let me have you jump down to verse 19. Matthew 28, verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. In other words, the whole book finishes that the resurrection always equals mission. Once you have resurrection faith, it's your job to go and tell. And you say, well, who do I go and tell? Well, two groups of people. Let me tell you about them. Number one, you need to go and tell wayward believers. Go and tell wayward believers Jesus is risen. There are a lot of believers in this world just like Peter. There are a lot of believers in this world who, who fled. There are a lot of believers who, who, who have run away. All the disciples had run away. And what does the angel? Go tell the disciples quickly that he is risen. And then Jesus said, go and tell my brothers that he is risen. And there are people who have left the church or who are, who are, who are wandering or they're AWOL and, and they need encouragement or whatever. And our job is to go and say, Jesus is risen. And I love the fact that the first mission of the church is to go gather the lost sheep. To go and get the people who have been disillusioned with their faith or left the church. And sometimes because of what other people have done, their faith have been doused. But one way or the other, there's these wayward believers and Jesus and the angels. Like, you need to go tell them that he is alive. And I love how Jesus is like, go tell my brother. See, see there in verse, look at it real quick with me. He says, uh, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. In other words, he's saying, now I want you to go tell Peter, and I want you to go tell the guys that have fled me, and they got cowardly, and they totally freaked out that I'm not going to hurt them. Go tell them that they're still my brothers, that I have forgiveness, and I have grace, and I have mercy for them. Go tell them that I'm risen not to destroy them. I'm risen to change and transform them so that they'll never be cowardly again, so that they'll never run away from the front lines again, so that they'll be reintroduced to a life of God and consistency in their faith. Wayward believers. Some, some, some people are wayward believers because of life circumstances. Their life's just jacking with them. And circumstances in their life have caused them to be discouraged. And so maybe they're not necessarily sinful. They're just, they just need to be encouraged. And, and you know, we have to encourage each other all the time. That's why we have life groups. That's why we have home groups. That's why we get together as a church to say, I know life is tough, but that's all right. He is risen. 
We can do this. We can overcome and do whatever God is calling us to do because if he has given his only begotten son and if he has defeated death, then we can do all things through him who strengthens us. We can conquer all things no matter how hard it is. Together, we're going to keep moving forward. Don't be wayward in your faith. Don't fall away. Let me encourage you. Strengthen it up. Come on, let's do this thing together because Christ is risen. So we have to go and tell wayward believers. But then secondly, and then finally today, we got to go and tell worldwide unbelievers. Let me go back to the Great Commission again. Look at uh, verse 17, actually verse 16. And I, you know what? I'll, I'll tell you something. I, I think this is a great picture of the church. I really do. I think this, these verses is all about being the church and all of its glorious imperfections and all of its sometimes and I know some of you and I feel you oh I feel you sometimes the church is so frustrating true or false don't say it and we go why in the world the church you know it's just so silly people can be so silly and especially they get in the church and they get even more silly sometimes But if you look at verse 16, you get a picture of the church. It says, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. That's a broken group. Should be 12, shouldn't it? It's incomplete. Somebody's not there who should be there. Judas. And so even as they go to meet the risen Christ to worship Him... They're broken. And I want you all to know, I don't know if you're visiting or if this is your first time or you're looking for a church. Or I want you to know something. This church is just like that church, broken. We're not a full 12. We're an 11. Sometimes literally, but anyways. <laughs> I mean... We're, we're a broken church, and the church is not about coming and being perfect, and you can't come until you're perfect. Like, the church is like, we're limping in like the disciples limped into this church on this mountain to worship Jesus. They are broken, and we are broken, and it's not about us being perfect. It's about Jesus being perfect. And the more we behold His perfection, actually, the more we'll grow, but the more we focus on our imperfections, the more we'll be imperfect. We're broken, and and you can even see it in their worship. Look at this, verse 17. I mean, this is my singing and my worship every Sunday morning, which every Sunday morning is Easter Sunday. We worship on Sunday because it's the first day of the week. It's the day that Jesus has risen. And look at what it says. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Now, can you believe this? They're looking at him, man. They are looking at Jesus. He is alive. They're looking physically, and they're still like, I doubt it. I doubt that's really him. He trimmed his beard or something? I don't know. How can they doubt? I feel so much better in my own doubt, right? That's the church. We worship him, but we doubt. We worship him, but we doubt. We worship him, but we're distracted. We're singing, you know, mighty to save, Savior, Arthur. I wonder how the job will go tomorrow. I wish he would stop being an idiot. 
I wish she would stop being so annoying. Author of salvation. This is the church, broken, imperfect. But what do we have as the church? We don't have perfection. we got a perfect Lord. And he says, not based on our perfection, but off of his authority. Verse 18, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you. Behold, I am with you to the end of the age. Like, this is not something I'm sending you out on your own. Like, I'm walking with you, and I'm healing up the breaches as you're all imperfect and broken as a church. And together as a church, you're to go reach wayward people, wayward or worldwide unbelievers with the gospel of the resurrection of Jesus, that he died for our sins, he rose on the third day, and so we need to come and see to be reignited in our passion for him, and then we need to go and tell together, even in our imperfections and our brokenness because he is with us that's the job of the church you're like man I, I want to go and tell I have come I have resurrection faith I want to go and tell give me some ways to go and tell number one write down and keep a list and keep a journal of lost causes that you know in your life who don't know God or Christ and in June, I'm going to do a series on a bunch of men who should have never become Christian. They should, they should have never become Christian, save for the grace of God, like Augustine, C.S. Lewis, like, like Charles Spurgeon. Some of these guys should have never become Christians, and they did. And they were lost causes, and God is the God of lost causes. And you've got to pray for lost causes in your life. You've got to pray for people. You've got to write down Sally's name or you've got to write down Bob's name and you've got to start praying for them to have resurrection faith. And you've got to start praying for them and thinking about them and being concerned for them and believing that God can save lost causes in your life. Here's the second thing you need to do. If you don't feel like going and telling other people about your faith, then it's time for you to return to the come and see phase. See... We, we don't want to tell people, and the reason why we don't want to tell people is because we're not fired up about Jesus. And we always tell people about what we're fired up about, true or false. I mean, the first thing I take people to see in my home are my electric guitars. That's all I got. I'm fired up about it. I'm fired up about my wife. So anytime I'm hanging out or playing golf with dudes or... Or, or eating lunch, if Sherry doesn't come up in the, in the conversation, it's like a miracle, because I'm fired up about her. And I'm not just saying that because she's going to listen to this recording. Although, baby, I love you. You're hot, honey. All right. If you're not fired up to tell people about your faith, that's okay. Don't feel guilty or condemned about it. You just got to come back to the come and see Jesus part where you come and see him and you get fired up about him. And next thing you know, you're going to want to tell people about your faith because you're being filled up and reignited with passion for him. And you're getting, you're getting full of him. And once you become full of him, it'll naturally come out, not in a forced or religious way, but hey, man, this is an important part of my life. And you'll start T-bowing people. All right. Number three, you, you need to be a part of a church and help a church in a practical way to reach wayward unbelievers. I mean, you, you have to, 
You know, our church is about coming and getting Jesus in your life. That's the first step. It's not about coming and giving or coming and doing. We want you to take Jesus. But once you have resurrection faith, we want to equip you and actually put you in places of our ministry where you're going to help us together as a community reach more people. And one of the mo- we're a small church. We don't have like 50 million, you know, ministries to serve in. And what are you passionate about? Well, I'm passionate about drawing art on a piece of canvas. Well, we don't have that ministry yet. You know what I'm saying? But what we do have, we have a children's ministry. One of the best ways to reach people in our culture is to take good care of their kids. And we're asking all families, all parents who have kids who consider this their church home to start serving in our children's ministry. And we need parents to sign up for our summer block. When nobody else signs up for anything, we need them to sign up for the summer block. We're going to have a new welcome center, a new optically, cosmetically improved school building, which we own. We have no debt on six acres of land. We have two buildings. We are a sleeping giant for Jesus to reach more people. We are perfectly positioned that if we can begin to serve and get laborers in our children's ministry to start off with, to welcome people, to watch the kids, and you're like, well, I'm a parent, but I don't like kids. We got to pray about that. It's a problem. It's a conflict of interest. But, but I will say this. You're like, I still don't want to change diapers or anything. You know what? We need, we need just people doing like the computer scan thing that we're going to get, which is really pimped out. Did I just say pimped out? Uh, and people will check, check their kids in to our children's ministry. And we, got, we need somebody on the computer to administrate that and to smile and welcome parents. So if you just don't like being with the dirty diapers, I understand that. We'll put you on. The, but we, we need servants, and that's going to help us actually to reach more people. And we're going to start having children's ministry for the whole service, not just after worship. So parents are going to start checking in their kids. Hope, Lord willing, by June, pray for me, pray for us. By June, all, all parents will check in their children into that building before they come over and worship. And we're going to start checking in. And new parents are going to start meeting our people over there at our welcome desk. And it's going to be awesome. But we need parents to sign up. You say, that's crazy talk. Well, that's how we're accomplishing the Great Commission in a real practical way. Here's the final thing. How can I go and tell? Use all of your... God has given you everything in your life from bad circumstances to good, from money to lack of money, from health to lack of health, from all the things, all the resources you have in your life are to be used as a missionary resource to tell your story, to explain your hope, to say, I'm sick, but this is my hope. I have money, but this is what I do with it. Uh, to, to say about all of your circumstances, use all of it as a missionary resource. Even your marriages, your wives and your husbands, missionary resources. How you love your wives, guys, that is a, that is a witness to your faith. How you, how you discipline your children or raise your children or beat your children. No, I'm joking. But you know what I'm saying. How, however you do things, it's all a resource to reflect the glory of Christ in your life and to tell people. And so you've got to surrender all of your, you've got to bring all of your resources, the good, bad, and the ugly, and you got to come before Jesus and say, Jesus, how do you want me to use this in my life to tell, to tell worldwide unbelievers that you're risen? I want a story. I want a testimony. What do you want me to say about this to other people so that they can hear the gospel? Everything in your life is a missionary resource. And you were a missionary the moment you believed in the resurrection of Jesus. You became a witness 
and a missionary for his cause. He is risen. And it is the only hope this world has. It's the only hope we have to offer is the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And it's so important. I remember when I was, my grandfather passed away and went to be with the Lord when he was 96 years old. And I have two older brothers and we took turns going to Kansas where he lived to be with him at the end. And he had like this hospital bed and his dining room and, and he was so poised, so strong, had such strong faith. And I remember at the end he was just so patient as he awaited his translation from this world to the next. And he always had his, his hands just like that. I'll never forget it. I'd sit by his bed all night long and he'd just be like this. And he was in so much pain. And there was one night, in the middle of the night, 3 o'clock in the morning. I mean, it, it was so late, and I was waking up, and he was kind of groaning. And he kind of took his hands off like this. And he just looked at me, and he just said, Joshua, why? Why? And I was like, now, Papa, I know you're in a lot of pain. But I want you to remember what we believe. And we believe that Jesus died and that Jesus defeated death, and you're going to defeat death. And Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even though he dies, he will live. And I prayed over him. And after I was done praying, he looked at me, and he had this little smile on his face. And he brought his hands back together. And he put them back together. And he never said another word. The resurrection is important. And Jesus is our hero and our liberator and our savior. And you're either going to realize your need for him later or you're going to realize your need for him now. You might as well realize it now. And if you are a wayward believer, then be encouraged. And if you're on the front lines as a believer, then be encouraged. And if you're not a believer, become a believer and believe in Christ. He is risen. Come and see Go and tell. Let's pray. God, even now our children are learning about the resurrection and we the adults have learned about it again and I just pray that you would make uh, us to be people who have souls whose object of affection is the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to see him as alive and present and as coming back one day again. God, I thank you for the power of the resurrection and all that it represents and, and that you give it to us as a gift. I just want to encourage you, if you're a believer, to right now just say to Christ, just say to him, I come to you. I want to come and see you, Lord, again. And even though I can't see you with my eyes, I want to see you with my heart and with my mind. Ask him. Ask him to talk to you and to speak to you and to encourage you and challenge you and to reignite your passion.
If you're not a believer today, what we believe as Christians is that the only way to survive the resurrection of Jesus is to believe in him. He is alive, and what that ultimately means is that he's the final judge. He's the judge of the living and the dead, and one day he's going to come back. He's going to judge this whole world, you and me, and the whole filing cabinet of our heart and our intentions and our motives and our sicknesses and our idols and our false gods will be revealed. We will have nothing to offer to him at that moment. And the only way to survive a risen Christ is to believe in the risen Christ. And so I want to ask you, if you're not a believer and you've never placed your faith in Christ, I want to give you an opportunity to do that right now. Come and see. Come into the empty tomb and then run to Christ and lay hold of him and worship him as Lord, just like the women did. And if you want to do that for the first time and you've never done that before and you feel like God's been working in your life, maybe months or even years before this moment, but it's all, your whole life has prepared you for this one moment to decide and you want to do that for the first time, I want to ask you just to slip up your hand right now so I can see it. I want to accept Jesus into my life. I want to walk in the resurrection. God is giving me resurrection faith today. If you've never believed in Christ and said, come into my life, raise up your hand. I'm believing that we're all believers, or even if you didn't raise up your hand, that and you want to do it, that if you just come and say, Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sins and my brokenness. Bring me to life spiritually. Bring me to life philosophically. Bring me to life psychologically. Bring me to life in relationship to God. Give me justification and give me the promise of a raised life and a new body. Come into my life. If you can say that to him, then you're a believer. For you believers... Consider a lost cause in your life and think about more about how you can go and tell and how you can be a part of a church, whether it's this church or another church, whether you can be a part of a church that goes and tells more people, a worldwide group of unbelievers, unbelievers not only in God but in the meaning of life, ask him to give you wisdom on that. Lord Jesus, we're grateful for you're alive and therefore we stand to worship you. Everybody stand and let's sing and worship Jesus as the risen Lord. Come and see, go and tell. But before you go and tell, sing to him and worship him. Even in our imperfect, imperfections, we can bless him in our worship. So let's sing to him with resurrection joy.